I'm just as fast and I'm just as strong and I'm just as committed and I'm just as driven as anybody else here. And you can take hor horrifyingly bad experiences and memories and, then, and, and you can move on. All the things you're supposed to try to sort of make sure that you're healthy. But the, the fact was, I kind of was healthy all along. Hey everyone, I'm Jess and this is the YTP, the Yogi Triathlete Podcast. We are just shy of one month into our Ride the High Vibe Tour and connections are flowing. We are completely immersed in the community up here in Lake Placid and I can tell you now it's going to be so hard to leave. We touched upon our daily routine or lack thereof in the last episode and I just have to say that every day continues to be a test of our flexibility. BJ and I are under no illusion anymore that we are in charge of anything and I feel like we're truly experiencing what it's like to live moment to moment and it's not without challenge for sure we are being challenged all along the way but what I'm seeing in both of us is this ability to just change course when necessary and move forward no doubt a reflection of our time spent on the mat and the meditation cushion it is making what could be a very bumpy road into a lot more enjoyable path to travel. And this is exactly what our guest today does in her life, whether it be dealing with the news she just received moments before recording this interview or flowing with major life direction changes that she never would have wished on anyone, let alone her own family. This week, BJ and I bring you a very special guest. She is a triathlete, she is a mom of twins, and she is my beloved cousin. We chat triathlon, we ponder pain, and the powerful influence that it can have, and that it did have on our relationship for many years. And Gail opens up about the greatest loss in her life, and how she is not only surviving, but thriving in her new chapter. But I'm not going to talk too much about this because I would hate to give any spoilers to this conversation. What I can tell you is that Gail's story, although steeped in devastating loss, is a story of acceptance, perseverance, and survival. She is one of the strongest people I know, and I'm so excited to share her strength with you. So prepare yourself to settle in with this honest and revealing conversation with one of my best friends, Gail McCarthy. also mentioned in more than one episode the ego and the place yeah that the ego takes in this it's center stage when you're doing it wa this. well it, it wants to be it wants to be center stage if, and if you let it if you let it yeah be, um you know this morning i'm in physical therapy now for a um frozen hip and i was told just a couple hours ago that um you're running for the summer's over like you're not gonna you know let's Ooh. let's give this a break for a while and see what we, but you might not do your goals, the running portion of your goals this summer. And it was like somebody told me I couldn't have children or somebody, I was like, what? I'm sorry, what did, what did you say? Like, <laughs> you know, it's like this devastating thing. And then I, you know, driving here, I just looked again, big picture. And I remembered, of course, BJ, you're in my head all the time. Your horrifying injury recently that left you unable to do an Ironman that you had trained for and planned for. And and, you, and also left you in incredible pain. And it's just one of those things that puts it in perspective. 
that I almost don't even remember that now. And it, you know what I mean? Because yeah. of all the other successes that you've had with, you know, and, and happiness that you've found in other races since then. And there are other things that you can do. There are other things that maybe, maybe I don't need to be focusing on my run right now. Maybe I need to be focusing on other things. Right. Um, so I, ve- I was very proud of myself how quickly I let that go today. Forgot about it until you just mentioned. Awesome. The, you know, and like I mean? this summer, if you look at your life, right? Well, we're just talking about this life. Mm-hmm. It's a blip. It's a blip. It's, it's completely... And I always remind myself, like, the running community is not going to shut down because <laughs> Jessica Mkowski is, like, not on the starting line, right? Seating yourself way too high once again. You know, it's not going to shut down. And that's sort of like the whole high, high vibe tour is, is we, have, we have a plan, a sort of a plan, but that plan is going to change daily. And we just have to be okay to roll with it. The same thing with my athletes and their injuries. They have a plan. They have a race season. Things pop up. Yep. Guess what? Now you're going to take a detour. Right. And it's there for a reason. Right. You know, I learned so much from that experience, as, as you know pretty well. And I carry that through me now to my coaching and, and to my training. But what I did in, that, in those instances was throw myself into support. Remember, I started yes. helping you out with yes. coaching. I volunteered at the 10K. Like, just yep. throw myself into other things. And I met people and... And there's other things you can do. That's a, yeah, that's a great idea. Your... That's, that's kind of what I'm yeah. thinking. There yeah. are other ways that I can do this. Totally. Yeah. Like yeah. volunteer with the kids at a race. Yeah, I mean, absolutely can such do that. Such a great that's way a... to... It, it, I think that's such a great thing to do too because when you're injured, you can watch that ego want to take center stage and have like the pity party. And it's just about letting that energy move through you, not trying to push it down, just let it move through you. So to stop looking at injury as such a negative, that it's there for you because there's something there for you to master. It's, it's so true. And uh, I was, I've been wondering where this, this other sort of thing, this phase that's happening in my life was trying to fit in my life where some friends of mine um, that not, are not necessarily related to each other in any way are starting running just now. And they're asking me, oddly enough, for my advice and um, on just sort of how to go, you know, from the non-runner to the runner and um, to how to do it safely. And I'm taking everything that you've um, helped me with, both of you, and um, trying to encourage these folks. And the, one of the first things I thought today was maybe it's just this is not my year. This is my year to support these other people. You know exactly. what I mean? So yeah. I'm kind of thinking of it. And the volunteer idea is certainly something I should do as well, you know, with the kids. And it's probably a good idea for me to just support them in their sort of activities and things, which I'm constantly doing anyway. But, um, but as far as the running goes, you know, maybe it's my, my turn to kind of take the back seat. Um, and again, if I let my ego take over this, the thought process, and we're, you know, we're not our thoughts it's how we are what we do with with those you know is sort of my philosophy but oh my god you're talking um, like a true yogi triathlete <laughs> i love it but it's it's really really true and it's sort of something i'm learning now in my you know <clears throat> to late 40s um, that it it really is you know how you how you react and respond to to not just the things that happen around you but to the thoughts that you know do i feel guilty because i think this certain thought do i feel happy because I think this certain thought. So the thought, you know, instantly is, um, yeah, that the running, you know, the running community is going to shut down because I had my best, you know, my fastest, you know, race a year ago in, which is, let's just put it out there for anybody who doesn't know me. 
it's certainly not breaking any speed records here. We, we know, okay, we know this. You guys both Your know speed this. records. My, but I am breaking my own speed records. That's all that matters. And that's all that matters. But coming off of that, where I kind of wanted to challenge myself even further and see, okay, well, I did that last year. How can I, you know, and it's not just that. It's sort of the, the mental aspect that I've been really breaking through with, you know, the swim and all this stuff. Um, okay, now that I'm doing that, what can I do this year? And part of me has been thinking, well, maybe this is the year that I just sort of relax a little bit and just, you know, just, just take it easy and just have fun. And so this little injury is, it just almost makes sense if that, you know, makes sense. Yeah, Um, it does. I mean, I think that it's, you're gifting yourself um, such a reward by taking this perspective because right. you could take the other one, and you probably have in the past, and so you know how that feels. That usually feels pretty crappy, you know. But if like if your life is on the marquee on Broadway, you know it's it's you know Gail's life and not Gail's ego featuring Gail. Right, right. And I'm not. I've never been a competitive person, and I'm a mom of two now. And in kids' sports these days, it is um, it's almost frightening how, how competitive. Things are, and you know, it's. I'm not raising Olympic athletes. I'm not raising scholars. I'm raising really good people, and that's kind of how I have to look at it. But you, it is really difficult not to get swept up in the competitive nature of a lot of these things with these young kids. It's crazy, and that sometimes seeps into my my own activities. And so that competitive thing, which I've never really felt before, I've never been a competitive person, is now sort of you know eking its way into my little you know psyche, and I'm like well, if all these people I know are starting to run, like I really need to be out there so that I can be showing them. You don't have to be doing it to show or to teach or to guide. You can, and, and obviously you know right, better yeah. than anyone. And so I'm, I'm trying to, you know, um, just I'm just really happy with the fact that just a few hours ago I got something that maybe, I don't know, last year would have really bummed me out. And now I'm kind of like, whatever, I'll, Make it work. It's exactly how you react to it. Like, right. And I was telling this to an athlete, I think it was yesterday, just flip it around. Just flip your attitude around so you can go down that dark hole and be like, this is the worst. This is going to be the worst summer. I'm not going to be able to run And fast. what good does that do? And what is it going to do? Right. But turn it around and be like, okay, now now it's time to get stronger. What can I do to prepare right. my body now? And right. who cares what other people are doing? That's, I find that's... that's such a a piece of the athletes that I work with too. It's they're looking at stats, they're looking at other people, they're training more, they're looking at their logs, they're training with friends that possibly are going longer that day when they should be going shorter and not sticking to the plan. And you get caught up in this vicious cycle of looking at other people's training regimens, but you don't know what they've done in the previous year, five years, 10 years, you, you don't, don't know, know their what they're history. Ever, you don't know what they're ever doing. Right. And I, I just had this conversation with somebody recently where, um, as sort of the non-athlete kind of coming up into, you know, this um, sport um, of triathlon, like, you know, sprint triathlon, but um, it's just interesting how, you know, road races, sprint triathlons, re- regardless of the, of the, you know, the venue or what exactly it is you're about to embark on, it is a community and we all share, you know, sort of a common bond, but yet somehow when you, when, you know, you, 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 go into these races and you see all of these athletes and you just sort of presume that they're all better than you 
there's almost this feeling of like, well, I don't belong here. I'm not a natural athlete. I didn't run in high school. I didn't this, I didn't that. Well, I don't belong here. And then when you look later at the stats and you look at your own times and you look at your own feeling after your performance, you know, my, I sort of say this prayer every time I do any kind of, you know, race is just, and I do this for my kids too, for, for their activities. Just let me be smiling and happy when I'm finished, regardless of what makes that happen. Let me have a positive experience and be smiling and happy when I cross the finish line. And so I've been, I've been smiling and happy when I cross the finish line for various reasons. It's all, like you said, how you look at it. So I try to go into these, you know, any sort of race now and say, I do belong here. I'm just as good and I'm just as fast and I'm just as strong and I'm just as committed and I'm just as driven as anybody else here. You know, and so it's um, it's it's really interesting. I wonder how many other athletes are out there think, thinking the same. Everyone. The same thing. Oh, I know. Yeah, absolutely. And, and so when you're there, you, you know, you're not aware of that. You're just so focused on your own. And then just start chatting with anybody in the, in the swim wave start before your wave goes off. Right. They're all feeling the mm-hmm. same way. So you know? what, what you're touching upon here, I'm, like I always take it to a you know, spiritual level, what you're, talk, what you're talking about here is the opposition between separateness and connection. Right, so when you walk into that transition area and you're like, "Oh my God, everyone's better," that's separateness. You're separating totally. yourself. So 100%, that's yes. that's functioning from your ego. That's right. that's letting your ego say, you know, this is the ego show, right. and it sometimes features Gail, yeah. and um, and then you make a connection with someone and you realize that you're more similar than different, and that's connection, yeah. and that's union, and that's yoga, and that is what the core of each one of us is is like there's a deep deep um line of connection between each one of us and we start to see it just by a simple conversation like it doesn't it doesn't have to be in a temple it can be in you know t1 right right at a race right and it's very simple and um you know we're going to experience a lot of connection i think on this tour and we might also experience separateness we might experience some resistance you know but it's sure, sure. it's um every experience you have whether that is connecting with someone whether that is walking in and saying oh my god i'm not good enough whether that is your running is done for the summer Every single experience you have is the exact one you're supposed to have in that moment, right, right then and there. Right? right? There is no right or wrong. I think I said this in my class last night. There is no right or wrong. There's only experience. That's right. it. And and then the difference between um, I've been thinking a lot about this lately too. Like the difference between um, the ordinary or what I like to say the untrained mind. Right? And there's a lot of athletes out there that have untrained minds. Um, is that we see the thought, we see the emotion, and then we put a meaning to it. And then what that does is that requires us to cling and attach to it. Mm-hmm, and then, mm-hmm. you know, then you start to fill the bag with the lead and carry it around. And the yogi mind, which it sounds like you're not sure why, but you're definitely adopting one, might have been those few classes you took with me, um, is that we just see things in their pristine state. We see them as they come to us in the moment. And when we can do that, um, we're just able to move through them. And we're just able to move from one moment to the next. And, and um, you know, this is, how you, this is how you don't miss your life. You miss your life when you're all caught up in the future of what I can't do or what I should do. Or, you know, that's missing your life because your life is happening right now. It's, it's amazing. The two things that, I, that just came to mind... Um, 
and it's just amazing how this connects all back to something I've learned from either one or both of you that I've applied to just daily life, not just, you know, um, training or racing, but, you know, the separateness and the connectedness. We are, we're, we are at some level all the same. And when you, you know, you've said that, I think, in your, we're all from the same, we're all, you know, it's so true. And when you, when you remove that separate, you know, that, that wall between you and, and the other triathletes in, in T1, for example, or when you remove that wall between you and the person behind you in line at the market, or when you remove those walls, things become a lot easier. And so just remove the separateness and then it, it kind of just boils down to a very simplistic concept that you have taught in class so many times. And then the other thing you just mentioned that leads me directly back to BJ's training, and, and I believe it was the... Um, I think it was the Ocean Road 10K that you had really just told me about staying in the moment and um, a few, you know, a few different concepts that I think of just when I'm just even out for just a recreational run is um, don't, and this is what I, where I was so stuck for so many years, you know, um, doing these little road races and, you know, just being happy with what I did, but never really pushing myself is I didn't know how to push myself. And the way you were able to help me do that was so simple, but it was, don't worry about the time you're going to finish in. Don't worry about the finish line. Don't worry about who's at the finish line. Don't worry about who's in front of you. Don't worry about who's behind you. Just do what you need to do in that moment and feel your feet beneath you for every step. And be in that step, be in that breath, be in that moment. And it wasn't something that honestly was easy for me to do. But once I was able to do it, and it was in that race. You know, I tried and tried to do it in training. It didn't really, I never really, it didn't really click. And then in the race, during the race, you know, I could tell you all the crazy thoughts that were going on. And you said, it's okay, you're going to go off. You're going to veer off. Just bring yourself back. Just come back to the moment. And it was amazing, amazing how it changed the experience. And it, that's what makes me smile and, and be happy when I'm finished now. Because it's complete, It's a completely different take on the experience itself. And I remember so much more of the race itself now. I used to, the races used to be a blur. Yeah, you didn't miss it. Didn't miss it this time. You know, so now that's kind of how, you know, how I'm, I'm doing that. And then the other thing you had said to me for um, Timberman, I believe it was, um, was okay just take a moment and think for a second while you're running or riding or swimming am i am i doing what i could be doing right now am i am i you know reaching that full potential in that step am i moving as quickly or am i am i as strong as i can be right now or can i go just a little harder not a lot not you know don't go out and kill yourself but can i go a little harder am i doing everything right now and if you are great stay there and if not a little see what happens and it's amazing it's just amazing the things that like I hold on to even just in my short little recreational runs now and that I really it is unbelievable the difference not just physically in, in, in speed or time or anything I've become so much less about that but my um my enjoyment of it so much it's just so much better and it all it it I think you said it so well it's just being there like how, you make decisions being there you're not tuning out to music. You're not tuning out to competitors or, I mean, it, it's great to take in the scenery. You know, you should take it, take it in every moment you can. But it's being in that moment and seeing what, how did your body feel? Because it's so easy, so easy to put on cruise control. 
Oh yeah. I can click yeah. off nine minute miles and just I'll just do I'll just do nine minute miles and just click it off. But when you continually check in with yourself, how far how much harder can you go? I I used to run races and think that exact thing. Well, the, I used to literally think, okay, well the next race I'll push a little harder. Well, I'm in a race. Right. Because I'm uncomfortable, so I don't want to get any more uncomfortable. Right. I'll do. I'll, I'm sure I can do better the next time. I don't think this is going to be my race today. I'll, I'll do it next time. That's gone. I don't do that anymore. Right. I don't do that anymore. And regardless of how I finish, I, st- I just enjoy the race more. That is it right there. Who cares if you cares. finish the race or not finish the race? You're going to finish the race. Right. But who cares about the result or the finish? Just try and push it and yep. see what happens. Yep. Don't fear failure. Right. Failure. And gonna... don't and don't predict su- success either. Right. You know, because sometimes you do that and you're like, I am jamming it right now this is amazing like i'm gonna i'm gonna have a pr today and if you start going that way it's the same effect it's not necessarily a positive effect even though you're you know you're sort of cheering yourself on um you're you've lost the moment now you're no longer in the moment right regardless of whether you're feeling positive about the finish or not you know you're not in the moment anymore yeah, and that the was moment is so hard everything. for me to do and i just some somehow it, it clicked during training and then um you know having a, a few successes during races that way um, and how we define success is completely different for everybody. So it's, it's irrelevant what I think of, you know, when I say success. But I think as athletes, we've put tons of pressure on ourselves. Time, predicted finishes, what we see from friends, we, what we see from results. And just be yourself. Be right. yourself. Race your race. Right. Stick to your plan. And you, you know, it's so funny. I'm listening to you guys talk and you're talking about a race, but I'm pretending that I'm hearing you talk just about life. Right? Because that's what it's all about. Stop comparing yourself to somebody else. Just live your own life. Yeah. Right? Like we can't compare our paths and things like that. But I want to get back to, um, I want to get back to this idea of connection. Because you and I have a really interesting story that I I think needs to be shared. And I will tell my version and I want you to tell your version. um, Because I bet there's some things that I don't know about. But um, you and I are cousins. We're first cousins. We look like sisters. We do. Your daughter looks like my daughter. More like more than yeah. More yeah, like more like you than she looks. Like yeah, me, like for she. Sure. Yes. Yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> I like have her school picture on the on the fridge, and I'm like, oh my god, she looks just like me. It's so awesome. It is. But um, our moms were sisters, and um, my mother's name is Joan, and your mother's name was Barbara. Right. And the way that my mom describes Barbara is that um, she was her best friend. It was her little sister. And she was funny and she was had a really dry sense of humor, which my brother has. Everybody loved her. She was hysterically funny, um, but she was also really sick. Right. And she was um, a, had a lot of... Um, darkness in her life. She was an alcoholic. Right. I was in my mother's womb during the time that your mom was getting to the end. I was born in March of 72 and your mom is my understanding um literally like drank herself to death the night before her 30th birthday. Right. Yeah, which is so crazy. And her birthday was on Halloween. Right. 
Um, and so at that point I'm six months old. So it's, it's interesting to me and looking back on my life and the transformation that I've had and the things that I've had to release and work through and I, a lot of trauma. But if you looked at my life on paper, there was not a lot of trauma. So I'm sure that I absorbed a lot of that when I was, you know, in my mother's body and even in those first six months as your mom was so sick. And um, I've heard some stories, but essentially I grew up seeing pictures of this little girl and this little boy and I didn't know who they were. And it was you and my other cousin, Michael, your brother. I remember even telling my friends, like, I think I've got cousins, but it was nothing. I, the pain was so uh, intense and it still is for my mom. So, so intense that she could never talk about it. Right. Same, so, with, same with my dad. He, yeah, very rare. Yeah, very rare. So we, we were told um, this is my experience. Now, if my mother listened to this, she'd probably say she had a different experience. But again, this sure. is my perspective, my experience. Um, and my sister and I were always the curious ones. So we would try and ask questions. And so we were all told very different stories mm -hmm. along the way. I was told they were on a double date and your mom had a heart attack and died. Oh, my. Yeah, so that was one story that I heard. So it was always a heart attack, which essentially is exactly how she died. Probably what um, yeah, because ultimately, right? Yeah, right. because they tried to give her a blood transfusion right. and her heart couldn't handle it. So then I'm getting older and I'm comparing notes with my sister and, you know, just kind of talking behind closed doors. And again, couldn't, I mean, you would ask my mom a question about you and... And she would just close down and walk away. And I know that she'd probably just go behind a, a door and cry um, because this was her best friend. And, um, and it was also my understanding that at her funeral, you guys weren't there, that I don't know if anybody was there. Like, I know our grandparents were not there. Like, just really, really sad because my Nana and Pa, who mm -hmm. I was so close to, and I can't believe that you didn't... It's so hard for me to believe that you didn't have the experience that I have. And then there's part of me that's so angry that I didn't have that experience with you, with them as I was growing up because I was so much fun with them. They were awesome, awesome people, but they weren't even at her funeral, their daughter's funeral. They weren't even there because it was too much. Wow. Yeah. And wow. so my wow. mom said that when she showed up, you guys weren't there. They left and they went to the flower shop and they got two... Um, flowers for you and Michael and they put them on the casket and she was buried with those and so again getting back to like kind of how the story was unfolding it wasn't until um like 2004 remember we went on that I went on this family cruise it was one night at dinner and we were on the ship and we all sat around and we were in Suzanne and I were just that's my sister Suzanne and Suzanne and I were just like all right that's it we're going in. Like, let's get some answers. Yeah, I mean, yeah. and I'm now married, so I'm in my 30s. Right. And the internet had already happened. Every once in a while on the internet, I would type in your name and then nothing. And I'd be like, all right, you know, and because I, I just knew, like, there was, I was going to find you. Like, I was going to find you someday. You I knew mission. it. I was on a mission. So that night on the cruise ship, we were on a mission. And that's when we got the most out of my mom and then she got to a point where she said that's that's it I can't anymore we heard a lot of stories about how my dad would go over to your house and um he would take you guys and bring you to my house and then go back and take care of your mom through you know the night sometimes and you guys would stay with us and um 
on that night, October 30th, that she just drank and drank and drank and drank. And um, I believe my dad brought her to the hospital and they tried to do a blood transfusion. It was too much for her heart. There was too much alcohol in her body and her heart gave out and she died. And that the last um, my mom had known about you guys was a, a very disconnected interaction with your dad. Right. They, they, I still don't know what the bottom of what that was, but there was a lot of pain between the two of them, maybe just around the loss of this amazing person. Sure. Um, that he had said to my mom, you will never see these kids again. And I think it was after that, so that was 2004. God, this is this whole story is leading into another huge story, but we'll get to that. And um, and I just started looking for you and looking for you and looking for you. So it was 2008 at the end of the year, and I it was like classmates.com. Classmates. You came up classmates.com, Cumberland, Rhode Island, Gail Giambezi, and then. I could send you a message. And then it was like up upgrade to the gold level to see Gail's response. And I was just like, whatever. Come on, just pay the 10 Yeah, I know. Like I've been looking for for 40 years now. Like, should I spend the $9.99 or not? And um, and I don't know what I did. I think I just walked away at that point. And then I got an email from you. And it was really simple, and you just said, Yes, my mother and your mother were sisters, and it's I'm me. your it's me, and I'm your cousin, and um, and then we connected, and it just so happened that BJ and I were coming back for the baptism of our godson, um, Vincent, in January. So it was January of two thousand and nine, and you and I set up a time to meet here in Newport because you lived in Rhode Island, and um, which was the place that we used to live. Um, which was also the place where um, BJ and I worked for the same company and we worked with uh, an advertising and PR firm that you also worked for at that same just, time. You can't write this. I was sort of the low man on the totem pole there as art director at the time and we had a receptionist that wasn't always there that when the phone rang, very oftentimes I would answer the phone and I'm convinced that I have spoken to both of you on the phone without knowing. <laughs> Ultimately, we were connected. And um, the thing that you and I had heard, because there was a time, and I want you to talk about this, where you met my brother yes. yep. in Providence yep. um, years back when he was in college, I think. A little after. A little, a little after, after college. And... Um, and so we knew that we looked alike. Yes. That's all we knew. Yes. And so we made a time to meet at a coffee shop downtown. And I don't know who, which one of us said, like, well, how will... I said, I yeah. said how, how am I going to know it's you when I get there? Yeah. And, and I said, just look for somebody that looks like you. Yeah, just and look I for said, somebody that looks like okay, you. Okay, will do. And that day you walked in and it was like there was... No disconnect. It, it was like we zero. had just seen each other the week before. Absolutely. And we sat down. I had just done my first Ironman. You had just done run your first marathon. marathon right. You had just done your first triathlon. Right. And it Actually, was, it was like, my second marathon. But yeah. But yeah. Yeah. Was, yep. And but you had just done your first, first triathlon. triathlon. Right. Yeah. Right, right, and then right. it was just yes. like we had known each other our whole lives, right. which I believe I always have. Totally believe that. Completely connected with you yeah. my entire life. It's so amazing that we don't have to have these physical bodies to feel connected and that I it's felt so connected true. with you my entire life. Instantly. And I just, Instantly. oh, just yeah. love you so yeah. much. And there's so much darkness and dark energy and sadness around 
our experiences, but I never feel that at I, all. It's not there for me at all. No. It's never been. Um, no. And then there was one, um, one beautiful moment in this 2009 where my mom and your dad came together. Yes. We're going to talk about that. Yeah. Because that and to they, me, is a, that was a big, big, they big, They had a big, very big, healing moment. It was a very moment. profound moment in my life when that happened. So we'll have to yeah. talk about that in a little more detail. The interesting thing about what you, how you described the story, there's so many interesting things about it, but um, I could go on, you know, and in, in, in detail my sort of um, side of it in terms of what I was told as I grew up. And it wasn't really spoken about very much, but pretty much everything you said is sort of accurate um, in terms of what I was told, but we just didn't speak about it. And I was curious and I would ask a few questions and things got kind of shoved under the rug the way things like this do, you know, did back then, I think in, in families, um, but grew up with my dad and he had apparently moved us out um, because of my mom's drinking. Um, we were, you know, in vehicles with her where we were ending up in ditches and I was one, um, and my brother, who's 15 months older, was two at the time. And my and dad. You, but you have some recollection of I that, don't you? I have some recollection That's of being so in vehicles crazy. with her. It's bizarre. It's bizarre. I don't remember what I had for breakfast. But I remember being in <laughs> vehicles and being or being pulled over. Things like that. I remember very sketchy, vague, That's insane details about certain things. When I was one, my dad removed us from the home. And they were in divorce proceedings. Yes, they were. That's right. So when she died, when they she were... When she died, they were at, toward the end, I believe, of divorce yep. proceedings. So they were still legally married, I believe. But I don't think the divorce ever actually was finalized. I'm not even sure. This is how sketchy this is. This is how vague the information was transferred to me by my dad. Just, I just didn't want to talk about it. And that it. just shows you the, and, the power of pain. Right. This like, man shut whoa. down. Oh, yeah. You know, and he was Same very, thing He was a very side. stoic sort of quiet, private, private person. And um, I can't say enough, you know, wonderful things about my dad, but I think if he were here today, he would probably agree that he could have handled this entire situation very differently. But he moved us in with his parents who were sort of straight off the boat from Romania when they were teenagers. So, but the interesting thing of my recollection about you, and I just told this story to somebody recently, it comes up quite often, is that what I remember you being a baby, I'm, I'm, I'm going to say, there's a photograph that I have in my mind of this time. So I'm going to say you were probably somewhere between six months and a year old, maybe. So I was a child. I must have been three or three, maybe. This is probably before my mother died, obviously, if we were in the same room. But I remember a baby Jessica. Baby Jessica. So I had gotten a baby doll I became consumed with you for some reason. So I had this little baby doll, you know, one of those little Milton Bradley, you know. Oh, baby, baby Jessica, not baby Jessica. No, not the well baby. The one that <laughs> no, fell down the well? No. <laughs> no, no, baby Jessica Costello. Me. Kumkowski. Yeah. You. <laughs> your wife. <laughs> not the one in People magazine. Please, please Just tell me yet. Please tell me you're not the well baby. <laughs> no, I'm not the well so, baby. I had, I purchased, I had, somebody gave me as a gift a, a baby doll and I, I named her Jessica because as a little child I thought all babies need to, be, need to be named Jessica. I named my baby doll after you. That's so crazy. So if you can even imagine, so and I had that doll my whole life. But, um, so that, I do actually have that sort of recollection. Um, but then I also have the recollection and this is just <laughs> skip to it where my dad, and it didn't occur to me until I was an adult, came upstairs from downstairs, we were in. The, I was in the kitchen. He called my brother and I into the kitchen and told us that that our mom had died, and I was 
maybe just turned four, I believe. So I was like, that's nice, what's for lunch? Like I didn't understand the concept of death, so I was like, how terrible. And it occurred to me years and years and years later as an adult, there was an unfinished basement downstairs. At one point, ultimately, his bedroom was down there. It was a finished basement. But at that time, this was an unfinished basement with no telephone, with no, there was nothing down there for him. I'm thinking that this man had to pull himself together to tell us this news. He probably just removed himself from our view so that he could, you know, and that's kind of like always stuck with me that it never occurred to me what he was doing and why he had been in the basement before he told us. And I think it was just uh, yeah. trying to and I think, know, steal himself or compose himself, try to figure out how do I deliver this news to a four and a five-year-old. He was very much in love with, with, with my mom. And he um, helped her as best he could, like any of us who deal with, um, who have loved ones that struggle with alcohol. Um, it's just, it's so difficult to watch. There is nothing you can do. It's the most helpless position in the world. And he told me all of the different things that he did, the psychiatrists, the, the clinics, the rehabs, the, all of the different things that back then you couldn't talk about, especially for a woman. You just couldn't say, my wife's in rehab. It was not something people did back then. And he, again, being a very private person, was not any, anywhere near willing to share that information with anyone. And so he didn't. And I think even to the point where he tried really, really hard to protect her and people's perspective of her and their and her sort of reputation, not reputation, but people, he wanted people to continue to love her and not judge her. So they hid it. They hid it. And they didn't even tell. And I think there was a certain time where he said that, you know, her own sister, your mom, he didn't share a lot of the stuff with her because he knew it would break her heart. And then at the end, he sort of ended up eating it by, you know, um, just not, sh not even ultimately opening up and saying, listen, this is something she's struggled with for a long time. And when people, when he took us and left, there were a lot of people that thought, how dare you? How dare you leave this woman? Like, what has she done wrong? And he yeah. didn't tell anyone. And he took the hit. He definitely right. yeah. took the hit. He took, the, he took a big For sure. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, it's just, it shows you like that, oh man, how powerful pain is and how infectious it is that stories got, you know, relayed um, even with a negative tone around this beautiful light of a, of a woman who, you know, had the darkness and had the sickness and, you know, eventually it was her demise, but then even after that, even after her leaving and the pain of all that, there was so much more pain that persisted because there was no talking about it. Next to nothing. Next to nothing. And then we would be at um, a family function or we would, you know, I would be just, you know, I would see somebody who knew my mom and would, and, you know, I just heard the same things over and over about how beautiful and funny and smart and artistic and this and yeah, she, she was, was artistic you know, very, yep. um, and um and just all of this sort of stuff but I, I just always felt very disconnected because I never n knew her I didn't I didn't I don't really have a lot of memories I didn't have photos I didn't really so it was very disconnected for me that I just sort of I had a dad and I had these loving grandparents that helped raise me and that was kind of it 
And then when people would say, like, where's your mom? And I'd go, oh, she died. And that was it. It was really, there was no pain associated with it for me until it was um, one night, oddly enough, in, col in college. Um, my best friend was my suite mate and had the room next to mine. And she was struggling, you know, studying for whatever exam. And I was like, okay, um, what's going on? You know, how can I help? And she was like, oh, no, I, I just have to get through this. It's really hard. And, and then she just sort of stormed off um, out of the suite and I said where, where are you going and she said I'm gonna go call my mom and she was really upset and it was like just what she did in that moment was go to her mom because she was just having a hard a hard day a hard night and it hit me like a ton of bricks that I never had that that I didn't have that person I mean I always had my dad and I always went to him for things but it was very different when you're a girl being able to go to your mom and it never occurred to me my grandmother was, you know, sort of elderly. And at that point she had passed away. She, she had passed away when I was in high school, but to not really have that, that the mom figure. And it was, um, I spent the rest of the night in my room in tears and I couldn't really figure out why. And then it occurred to me, um, I'm missing, I'm missing that. And I never grieved it. And it was probably a whole night and into the next day. And then I sort of snapped out of it somehow and went about my business and went, well, that was weird. And it didn't occur to me until a few days later that that was Halloween. <gasps> oh, interesting. And, and, it, and, I, and it didn't... That was her wasn't, birthday. It was her birthday and it was the day of her death, essentially. Yes. It was, and I, I, it didn't occur to me until way later where I connect, I put, it, put that together days later that that was however many years after and that that was a, you know, sort of a, a meaningful date and I didn't know that. And I was like, why was I so upset the other day? And I just feel like it was something in the universe. Yeah, kind of making, yeah definitely. Me, forcing me to grieve on that day. Definitely her essence, I think, was, was with you yeah. for sure. And, you know, not only did you not have your mom, you did not have your aunt, right. my mother. Right. right. You did not have your maternal grandmother. Right. You know, my Nana, Jessie, you knew her, yeah. didn't you, yeah. BJ? Uh -huh. Nana? Yep. We'd go down to the liquor store. She used to um, love <laughs> her Jim Beam, and she always she's always said that she had three men in her life. She would wake up with Ben Gay, <laughs> have lunch with Jack Daniels, yeah, and, and go to bed with Jim Beam. So wow, that's a maybe. There's been some drinking <laughs> in the family. I don't know. We do come from a long line, a long of, line of jovial yes. Irish, Irish people. Yes. yes. Um, so yeah. So getting back to that, I mean, just there's the pain. There's so much pain, and so we can't. I mean, I can't point a finger of blame or anything like that because again, that's um, that's not a loving thing to do to anyone. You know, to to have literally like kept us from each other for so many years but I never felt um I like I said the moment you walked in it was like we just kind of like we had seen each other the week before and we just kind of picked up right and I had said to you you know just recently that you you know I, I look at other people and their relationships with their cousins and some people are close to their cousins and some people are not so close but I do believe that you know and I, I don't walk around constantly saying everything happens for a reason I don't necessarily believe that entirely I believe that we make our destiny and we create what happens for ourselves and we make decisions and we have free will and all of that but it's it's interesting to me that if you and I had been in touch if our families had been in touch and we were spending winters you know skiing together and we were at the beach and at the cape you know over the summer um, I wonder if maybe our rela relationship wouldn't be as special 
I know. And you said that, yeah, it's pretty much every moment we're ever together and every conversation we ever have is so meaningful. It's so precious. Right? You know, I know. So I, I, I don't think I would trade Because I, I still feel like I'm making, like... I don't feel cheated in any way. I, I mean, think, yeah, and I think that there's always this bigger picture of, like, I'm making up for lost time with absolutely. you. Absolutely. But in... And just how we were brought together at such an um, and such a amazing time with you just finishing your first triathlon and me just doing my first Ironman and just connecting on that and being yeah. like, oh my god, who's this totally awesome, cool chick that looks like me? <laughs> <laughs> I love her. <laughs> and um, and so then that was 2009 that we met and um, we stayed in touch. We went back to Colorado and we had a plan that we were going to come back in July and you and your husband, Jimmy, and your two kids, Bryn and Nicholas, you guys were going to come up to the Cape and we were going to do a big boat ride. And um, I remember we were getting close to our trip mm-hmm. and I hadn't heard from you. I got a, um, I got an email. You said, oh, we're getting ready for the Vermont Sun. Was it called right, the Vermont the Sun? Vermont Sun. Yep. The Vermont Sun Triathlon. And that was going to be basically the weekend before we were leaving to go home. And then we were going to meet up. And I was so excited to meet Jimmy. I had talked to him on the phone. And I know that uh, one thing is that he was so, so happy. Like, found just massive contentment in knowing that we had been reconnected. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. We were getting close. And I remember saying to BJ, I haven't heard from Gail. I haven't heard from Gail. That's okay. But, you know, well, we're going to see. We're going back. And we'll see her next weekend. And I was just so excited. Like, so excited um, that like I found myself just like wanting to really, you know, make sure that it happened. Like it was really like felt it like was important. I, yeah, it was important. And I felt like I really needed to make it all happen because I had visions of all of us going out on our boat. And that was something we did as a family was we went out on our boat every summer to this place, you know, we called it the island, right? Like nobody's ever called an island an island before, <laughs> but we called it the island and we would go out and it was this beautiful place and I just wanted to have that experience with you guys and I thought oh my god after all these years we're gonna have it. it's gonna be perfect it's gonna be amazing I can't wait and I called you and or I sent you an email and you know haven't heard from you blah 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 and um and the phone rang one day and it was you and you said um I said Gail hi and and you just said oh Jess I don't even remember this. Is, this. this is exactly so, yeah. what happened. You said, I was sitting in my office in, in Boulder at home, and you said, oh, Jess, it's Jimmy. And I said, what happened, Gail? What happened? You said, he died. Oh. It's like, how, how, how else do you say that? You know what I mean? It's you just, said, he, he, ugh, he died. And I said, what happened? What happened? Like, what happened? And so um, why don't you tell the story? So yeah, it was my it would it was to be my second um, sprint distance triathlon. I had done dance the Danskin Women's Triathlon the year before, two thousand eight, with a girlfriend of mine who we ran together, and we're like, what else can we do to push ourselves a little bit? And um, I believe it might have been the men who said triathlon, the husbands, and we were like, okay, and we sort of on a little bit of a challenge did it, and um, and really loved it, and um, so the next year I decided I absolutely wanted to do one and a group of neighbors said who one of them is a very experienced Ironman triathlete and he said um we'll do it with you we should all do it so a bunch of neighbors got together and that's Bill right yep, yep. who Bill I Maine. ended Bill up Maine, right? who I ended up on a ride with yep. last summer right? which is so funny right? yep. also part of what so we had some recollection team. of this story you're about to tell yep and um 
So we all, you know, packed up our stuff and went, we trained and trained and um, trained together. We, you know, some of us rode together, some of us ran together and it was a sort of, and everybody was going to do it. Everybody was going to do it. Um, I was the only, um, there were two wives and three husbands and then the, um, no wait, four husbands. And the other, um, we all went up, you know, as couples, it was four couples and we went up to Vermont and um, during the training, looking back, I remember, um, feeling as though Jimmy was, he had just, he, his, his most passionate activity. Um, and there were two things that he looked forward to the most in life every year. One was a pig roast. He went on every year with his friends and he got to play guitar and hang out and drink beer with his buddies and, um, up in Maine. And, um, it was one of those things he invited me to every year and every year I went, thank you. No, I will stay home. Have a lovely time. And sent him on his way with his tent and his beer and have a nice time. The other thing he looked forward to the most was riding in the MS-150. He was on the, um, on the board um, of the um, local Rhode Island chapter of the National MS Society, not because we're necessarily um, in touch with or close with anyone that um, at the time that struggled with the disease or anything, but he simply, went, when he was selling office products, went in to sell them a copy machine and they said, hey, you're a great guy. We should use some, we could use somebody like you on our board. And he joined the board and then just, um, became very involved with them and, um, became involved with the ride and would love to, and just did the weekend, um, 150 mile bike ride, um, every year. And so that was his other highlights. So and, and similar to your mother, from what I hear of Jimmy, he was just the life of the party. The life of he the party. He was just uh, funny. He was a beautiful light in people's uh, lives. He lit up a room and um, could, didn't have a negative thing to say about anybody. And if he did, it was in incredible humor. He just, his humor is what sort of lit up a room. That and his smile. He just. And you guys had a beautiful marriage and yeah. you had, um, at the time, five year old twins. Right. Yep. Brendan right. and Nick. Were... Well, they, were, they had just turned six, right? So. Yep. Um, but the, um, oh, how did I lose my train of thought as to where we were going with so the So the two things was the biking. So Right, so the MS-150 was, was something he, he was really, really passionate about. He was on a team called the Pedal Pushers. And, um, and you said looking a, back on the training. Looking back on the training, he had just completed the MS-150 um, two weeks earlier. And I remember when we were doing some training, um, we did a, a, a brick workout. It was a, a ride and then a and then a short run, and I, we did it with a group, and I remember looking back and being like, he's way back there. Like, what, kind of strange. He was never gonna be the, you know, in the lead necessarily on the ride, but um, it was just kind of odd to me, looking back, that he was, you know, way back there. And then on the run, um, we ran in my neighborhood up this, you know, um, fairly steep hill. It's the hill I use for um, hill repeat workouts. And um, I remember him really, really struggling in the, in the run. and. I remember actually feeling like, well, this is what happens when you don't train enough. See, don't you think you should get out there a little more kind of thing. It was a right. little bit of judgment going on in my head that I didn't feel like maybe, maybe he hadn't, hadn't been training hard enough or taking this race seriously enough. And he didn't take anything seriously. That man was all about fun. And work and his family was the only thing he was really serious about, you know, supporting and providing for his family and making sure that we were all set. That was the only thing he took very seriously. So this was just kind of all fun for him, but I remember feeling a little judgment and kind of like, what's going on, you know? And But of course, I brushed that under the rug and didn't think a thing of it. But um, in short, while his wave was 
getting ready to, to go off. Um, the women were after them. So my, my friend Amy and I were standing there watching as the men in his age group were going off. And um, I went up and said a few things to him and I came back and I, I looked at Amy and I said, he is, may I swear? Yeah, absolutely. I said, he is scared <laughs> shitless right now. And she was like, no, are you kidding? She said, he is so calm. And I said, no, 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 I, I can tell. And she said, how can you tell? He looks, I wish I could be as calm as him. I was just thinking that. And I said, no, I can tell. Do you remember he, the final words that you said to him? I don't remember the words, but this is what I was getting at, is that he, I could just tell because he was quiet. And yeah. he was just not saying much of anything, standing there in that wave. I remember feeling bad because I was like, he's really nervous. And he was never nervous about anything. He just was so go with the flow. So it kind of broke my heart a little, like... I wonder you know, if he was I not just, feeling well. He, I'm sure he wasn't feeling well. But he was probably just nervous, like we all can be, regardless of how much experience I think we have. You've told me that, that you can still get nervous yeah. in the beginning of a swim wave. Having never done this before, and he was a swimmer in high school, so that was probably his most comfortable event. But I looked at him knowing he was really nervous, and we used to, regardless of like the details behind this, we used to call each other little guy. Hey, little guy. Hey, little guy. And uh, there's a whole backstory there, but I'll, I'll spare you the details. Um, but I went, little guy. And he looked over and I blew him a kiss. Mm. And he blew me a kiss back. And he smiled. And he got in the water. So then my wave, um, I think Amy's wave was next, and then my wave was out. So I was in the last wave. And being a somewhat panicky swimmer and nervous swimmer anyway, I was just really focused on going slow enough to not panic. And I said, I'm going to put oh, myself I know how that way feels. in the yep. back. Let me put myself way in the back and not care. And I had those first, rounding that very first buoy, which was right there. I was like, I'm, 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 gonna, I'm, I'm done. I'm panicking. I'm not going not gonna to do this race. I'm, I'm done. And then somehow something settled over me where I just went, just slow down. And I remember my dad, I know I'm going on a tangent here, but I remember my dad swimming every time we went to the beach. He would just go way, way, way out and he would just swim back and forth and back and forth and he would go so slow and he when he taught me you know the little bit of swimming that he did teach me it was sort of like there's no race just strokes and and so I was like go back to think of your dad just go back and swim slowly and I started swimming really slowly and being able to breathe and I started enjoying it and I was like okay this is good this is a good swim I don't care that I'm dead last I don't care that I don't think there's anybody behind me I'm going to get out of this water and I'm going to kill it on the bike and as soon as I started getting really comfortable thinking how good I felt, the rescue boat went by me. And it created this incredible wake that, I, that made me swallow a little water. And I was like, oh, what are they doing? I was a little annoyed. And then another boat went by. And I just presumed, okay, somebody's in trouble. And I thought to myself, that poor girl. Because I just presumed it would somebody in my, wa in my wave. And I thought, that poor girl. And somebody's, somebody's in trouble. But... It's okay, Gail, don't, don't let that alarm you. Just keep going. And I did. And I, again, just so happy that I wasn't panicking anymore. It didn't matter to me how slow I was going. It didn't matter that I was dead last. I kept swimming. And was when I looked up and saw the shore, I was so happy. And I got out of that water with the biggest smile on my face because it was over. The swim was over, mercifully. It was over. And I looked up and I saw my two neighbors, my two friends, the women that did not, the wives that did not participate in the race, and they were crying. And I went, what's up? 
with this big smile still plastered on my face and I, I'm trying to run by them. And they said, come quick, it's Jimmy. And I said, what do you mean? And I thought maybe he fell getting on his bike or something. Like, is, is he getting, right. you know, did he get cut? Did he, what do you mean? And she said, they're working on him now. And I looked over and I saw him on the ground getting CPR. Oh and I, I don't think anybody has ever run as fast as I don't, I feel it was a, almost like a uh, inhuman pace. Like I just ran. It, it, I, I don't even think I, you could call it a run. I think I flew. I, I, I can't explain it, but I ran over there. And, you know, to spare the, the gory details of the whole horrific scene, um, essentially he had suffered a heart attack in the water and they pulled him out immediately. Um, from what I've been told, he put his hand up and said, help. And the boat was right there. And um, he went down. He put his hand up, said, help. He went down. And um, there was a, a, a man swimming next to him that saw this and sort of lifted him back up out of the water. So he was never um, down. He was never under really the water for a long time. And so they pulled him right out. The person on the, on the immediate boat was... Um, the volunteer who was, she was a physician. So she started CPR immediately on the boat. And then the rescue, the ro- the motor boat that went by me, one of the, went by. And that, that's when they got him, they got him out of there really fast. And so when I got to him, they'd already been doing CPR for, I'm not sure exactly how long. Um, they continued to do that. They got an ambulance there. They, um, I mean, this is all over the matter of a very long period of time, but they got him um, on the ambulance and then they sent for um, paramedics because the ambulance just had EMTs. Paramedics came as we were on our route to the hospital. We stopped, stopped the ambulance so the paramedics could get on because it was actually more critical for the paramedics who could administer um, the, the life-saving medication. And you're in the ambulance I'm with in the him. ambulance Holding his hand. Um, I was sitting in the front and he was in the you know, back getting worked on. So I kept turning and saying, um, he, look, he looks, his color, his color is good. His color is good. And I knew, I knew this entire time. I saw him when I got out of the water. I knew that he wasn't coming back. But I kept saying, his color looks good. And they said, that's because we're doing very good CPR. And they kept saying that. And I kept saying that. And then at one point, I remember asking um, if there was a bag because I was going to vomit. And... Um, they gave me a bag, and then I, I snapped out of it and said, Gail, this is so not about you right now. Do not vomit. And I also, in the ambulance, which because they had to stop it so the paramedics could get on, it just seemed like an eternity to get to the hospital. And they're doing, they've been doing CPR for, for a very long time at a this long point. Time. And, and he's then, not responding. I'm not responding. Um, and it was administration of I don't know how much medication um, and just tons and tons of CPR. And... It, you know, rivals, I mean, it doesn't even, it doesn't rival. It puts away anything you've ever seen on television. It's just not anything. It, it is just the most surreal experience. And again, I knew, I knew that he was, that he was gone. I knew, I think my heart knew, but my brain was still trying to do the right thing and keep him alive in my brain. Um, but I remember saying a prayer in the ambulance. Um, you know, I said, Lord, if you're going to take him, um, take all of him. Like, don't leave like a piece of Jimmy for me because that just wasn't going to be what he would want. So I, I, I knew, I mean, I can't explain this. I just knew that he was gone. Um, there were physical signs, you know, just the way he looked. There was, there, I knew, I knew, but it just, and I appreciated them continuing to work on him. But at some point I just wanted to know, 
and I wanted it to kind of move on. I just wanted to like hurry up and see what the, what is this? Is this real? Somebody please pinch me and make this real. And so it got, it just continued with, and when we finally got to the hospital, brought him into the ER and then I was in there with him. Um, and that's when I was holding his hand and just, you know, and sort of encouraging him to stay with us, that kind of thing. But again, still knowing that this is all sort of a medical formality, if you will, like, and just knew that this, he wasn't coming back and that they needed to do their job. But I just, again, knew. And so then, um, two of my friends who had been at the race, they were all called off the course. So they came to the emergency room and two, two of them came in with me and were just sort of behind me, sort of, you know, same thing, just kind of encouraging him to stay with us and whatnot. But ultimately after another very long period of time, I think the whole entire thing, I, I, I can't remember the the exact amount of time it was detailed in a report. So we essentially had to, you know, I had to leave, I came to Vermont with my husband and had to leave Vermont without my husband. The long and the short of it is he suffered um, a, you know, a, a massive heart attack. And according to the medical examiner who examined him in Vermont, he was in dire need of a quadruple bypass and had no idea. He had no idea that he had heart disease. So he was a he was a ticking bomb, ticking time bomb, and his dad had passed away a year and a half earlier. Where he went to bed and did not wake up, but they had determined as well that that was a heart issue, and he had had um, bypass surgery himself probably ten years earlier. So after this happened, his mother, his sister, his two surviving brothers, you know, all got tested and at least two or three, three of them, at least three of them that I know of have been told they had either high cholesterol levels. Um, his brother also had a blockage that he had treated twice and had stents put in. And it's a very, very, gen you know, um, genetically driven situation in this particular family on both sides, his mother's side and his father's side. So he was, um, it was just, you know, again, a genetic thing. You hear about this all the time. He felt good, but he probably didn't know what really feeling good felt like, if right. that makes any sense. Right. Um, and he had been told since probably about maybe the mid 2000, maybe 2004, he had been being told by his physician that he had high numbers and he had high cholesterol and he carried his weight around the middle and he had some markers that the doctor didn't like. And I remember reading a note, I don't like these, nu these numbers, let's do something. And then he would get himself in shape for the MS-150 and feel really great. And then in the winter, he would sort of... Was he on any again. kind of high blood pressure medication? At one point, he was on high blood pressure medication. And I believe, in my recollection, what happened was he was training for the MS-150 and felt great, dropped some weight, was just feeling really kind of light on his feet and felt good. So he never refilled it. And that was the 150 prior to this race? I believe so, yeah. I believe so, because I think he would only... It might have been the year before. I can't remember. But at one point, he was on blood pressure medication that so, he just never refilled. So he had the signs. Mm -hmm. and all the, Looking back, I know now he had all the markers. And being the sort of naggy wife that I was, I remember very specifically being like, you know, seeing him eat certain things or seeing, you know, I remember saying to him multiple times, um, you know, you're not in college anymore. Like you're not gonna, you know, you can't come home and eat a bowl of the children's Cheez-Its, you know, or you, you know, you need to be a little bit more serious about your, your health just because you're, you're working out training for a ride or a triathlon doesn't mean that you're, that you're, um, in perfect health. Like just let's take care of, you know, what we need to take care of. And, and then knowing what I know, um, 
even back then, um, it's not necessarily hindsight. You know, I think how odd it was that I didn't say, why don't you just go, you know, go to your doctor and get checked and get cleared for this? Because I got cleared before I did my first triathlon. I just went and made sure that I was cool and um, especially and after yeah I mean for it's... whatever reason I didn't push him to do that at the naggy wife that I was I thought you know I kind of look back and go, why didn't I do that because I mean you weren't supposed you weren't supposed to right. I mean I believe right. that this is how it was supposed to play out and since then um so I mean Jimmy had classically what so I mean, hundreds and thousands, hundreds of thousands of Americans have right now. I mean, I think it's 600,000 Americans will go on the operating table and have their heart cut open and have, you know, a vein from their leg sewed in Mm -hmm. or a stent Mm -hmm. put in. I mean, this is happening all All the the time. So, um, since this experience, life changing to Mm -hmm. say the least, Mm -hmm. because here you are. A single mom, all of a sudden, a five-year-old or six-year-old twins. Right. Right. How has this experience changed you in the way that, um, has it changed you in the way that you you live your life? Like, whether that be physically, uh, health-wise, or just spiritually, mindfully? I think um, I can just boil it down to one word, and that covers a few different things, but there's a, a strength there that um, and you, BJ had just had this conversation about you're stronger than you think you are. And I remember before Jimmy passed away, I was at um, my physician, you know, just getting a checkup. And she was asking me about the history of, you know, um, I, there might have been breast cancer in my family. And she said, uh, grandmother. And I said, oh, I don't know. She passed away at this age. Grandma, oh, I don't know. I didn't know the other grandmother. Mother, I don't know. She passed away when I was three. Um, you know, I mean, right. it was just a lot. And for whatever reason, I remember her looking up at me and saying, you've had a lot of loss. And I remember going, oh, yeah, I guess I have. And I've never really been, I don't think, much affected by it. And then this happened. Right. And, I remember saying, okay, yeah, I have. I'm good, I'm good now. Thank yeah. you. I'm going to the loss department. That's cool. I'm I agree. I have I, lived yes. a lot of loss. <laughs> Thank you. I'm all set. And then three years later, my dad passed away. And so it's, you know, I have. I've had a lot of loss. But I think what the the takeaway is here for me personally is I'm one of those people that if you know me, I don't necessarily handle the small things very well. <laughs> kind of can very easily lose my shit over like nothing. Um, but when it comes to the big things, what I've learned about myself is the inner strength that comes out when it needs to is just remarkable. It is remarkable. And, and how I think it's within each of us. It doesn't, I'm not differentiating myself from anyone else, but it is in there and you can take horrifyingly bad experiences and memories and then and and you can move on one day I'll learn how to move on from the small things but right now um, you know what I have learned is how to move on from the big things and I'm I've always been a very sentimental person and I, I have attachments to things and attachments to people I have attachments to music and what I always thought of was that I would be one of those people in a situation of tremendous loss that would curl up in a corner in the dark in a puddle of my own pee and rock back and forth until I'm, you know, until I feel better. And what I think that does is it makes it about me. It's not about me. 
why would I do that? I have two children I need to raise. I have friends I need to love. I have a home to take care of. I have a life to live. And how on earth is that honoring a person or a person's memory if, if that's how, if I'm going to live in that dark, you know, corner? So, you know, you can take that and take bits and pieces of it and apply it to like so many different things on so many different levels. But the sentimentality um, that people face, I think, when um, dealing with grief and loss, and everybody deals with grief differently, it is, it is it's absolutely not universal at all. It's completely different for everybody. They talk about the stages of grief. I've read many books after this. I read a lot of books. People sent me books. Um, I remember you saying that, like, I just, I can't with the grief books anymore. I can't do it anymore. I mean, I just, (laughs) I went to therapy. I I mean, I just, I tried all the things you're supposed to try to sort of make sure that you're healthy. But the, the fact was, I kind of was healthy all along. And I didn't need the books and I didn't because it's it's within you already and and if you whatever you need to do do it um and I felt like I needed to go through certain processes I made, went through a period where I made horrible decisions for a very long time I finally snapped myself out of that but it what the point about grief that I want to make is that when people are grieving there's a tendency for that person to think the harder I grieve the more I cry the longer I grieve and the more I go down memory lane and go backwards is commensurate with how much I loved that person. And that's not true. Like t- forgiveness. Forgive yourself if you're enjoying your life still. It's not a bad thing to enjoy your life still. You still have a life. And I remember somebody said to me about how happy I seemed shortly after. And he was so happy. And he said, you know, um, I hope you go on to, to do this and this and this again, he said, because you have to remember. And I thought it was very harsh at the time, but it was very true. He said, Jimmy died, you didn't. And it sounds so harsh, but there's such a truth to that. And, you know, it's sort of like, what would the person want? I mean, I think Jimmy would kick my ass if I did anything other than continue to live my life and enjoy my life and continue doing things like triathlon, like, and, and, and working out and trying to stay fit and trying to, you know... Um, enjoy the things in life, traveling, the things that we love to do together, I continue to do with my children. I'm in a relationship. I do these things with, with my boyfriend. Um, it, it's just, I continue to enjoy life and forgive myself for the bad decisions I made in the beginning. I forgive myself for um, not grieving as hard as I thought I would, if that makes any sense. Yeah, it does. And I can, um, I can attest to your strength because I was at that funeral because I just so happened that I always had planned this trip right back home. That was the weekend. That was the weekend. Right. And so that big boat trip ended up being um, coming funeral. to Jimmy's funeral. Right. And um, I remember sitting, I went with my mom and my brother, and I remember sitting in the church. And, um, and I walked up to you, and I thought, oh, should I just, like, you were sitting in the front row, and I th- of course, and I thought, should I you know, who is, I remember thinking like, who is this for? And, you know, like me getting up and and going and hugging you. But I remember I got up and I went over and you just looked at me and you were, you were just, I'm so glad you're here. And I gave you a big hug. And, um, but you were the, the strength that you exuded that day was, um, enough to carry that entire church and more. You stood up, you told beautiful stories, you told a really beautiful story about a butterfly in the hospital 
Bryn, six years old, got up and and read, and you just see like that strength that is within her, mm-hmm. and just the friends and the guitars that were there mm-hmm. um, on the um, you know next to the casket and. It was just, I watched you so closely that day. And I remember thinking like, that's my fam, like that's definitely my family because we, we are very, very strong. But when you said that, you know, you don't do so well with the small things and you do well with the big things, I've always said that the big things kind of take care of themselves, right? Because when they are that big, you, you got to just take your hands off the wheel. Mm-hmm. You have no other you. choice. Like right. the speed from which you ran from your friends to Jimmy mm-hmm. on the beach that day mm-hmm. was not within your control. It was no. something no. else. Oh, that, yeah. So we get, we get absolutely stripped down to the core of who we are. And the core of who we are is unlimited power right. and strength. Right. And you chose that to continue to live within that I think despite the human experience of you should be grieving more you should be doing this you should be in therapy you should be reading all these books and I and you did all of that you exercised it but you realized that you you had um already what it was taking to get through it which was just living right and being there for your kids, right? And um, and yeah, the the str- I'll never ever ever, actually, you've said to me, time and time again, like, oh my, you're so strong, can you can do Iron Man? And I and it's so funny because, in moments where I need strength, I think about you that day at the funeral Aww. when you got up, and you spoke, and I just remember thinking that I would be in a puddle of my own pee in the corner. <laughs> And never leave it. Right. And I, and I still right. think that maybe yeah. that would be the case right. if this man sitting next to me was taken away from me. Right. Um, but, but then again, what I do know about myself is that um, to get in touch with your true nature, which traumatic and devastating events really allow you to do because it fully awakens you. You become alive in those moments mm-hmm. where nothing else matters except for what's happened. You I mean right. you are forced to be fully present and right. when you are fully present, you are um, fully available for what is at hand no matter how big it is. Right. And when you get broken down to the to the bare bare bones of um, emotion and what and 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 the surrealness is a word but the the surrealness of feeling like this is a bad dream and I'm going to wake up from this. And then realizing literally when you wake up the next morning that it's, you're still dreaming. It's still, you're not dreaming. That it's, this is your new reality. Um, the, the extreme of emotions, I, I, can't, I, I probably couldn't describe if I had, you know, a pen and like, you know, a scroll of paper that was three miles long. I don't think I could put into enough words like what that felt like. Um, you know, what it felt like that day, what it felt like, you know, the next day, what it felt like the day after that, what the funeral felt like, all of that stuff is so um, beyond anything. And again, everybody's experience is different, but it's beyond anything I would have ever imagined. But what I'm blessed with, in addition to, you know, some inner strength that I think everybody has within them is um, what I refer to always as my army of support. You know, I've got a, a, tons of, a ton of great friends. I've got great family <laughs> you guys. Um, and I, it, you know, and it's, um, I remember saying, I think it was like at the wake, there was just a million people, you know, and, you know, 42 year old man 
who's loved by so many people in all areas of his life passes away that that makes for a very like long line and there's a lot of people that you need to you know um hug and, and receive support from and i was on total autopilot at the wake just no idea who i was or what i was doing and uh, not a tear not a tear to be had a couple you know if i saw certain people that would make me sad but for the most part, you're just on such autopilot and this weird adrenaline that happens that it's not a, it's 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 not the, the the weepy, sad, teary thing that you you know imagine. Um, you're just going. You're just letting you're just, it all move through you. You just it just you're just present. You're kind of going through the motions and you're sort of like a prop and you're just kind of there. And as people came through, I, I do remember this one moment of clarity saying to somebody that look at this support, look at all these people here. And I felt like my grief, every person that went through the line, I felt like had a basket, like a little basket. And I was taking my grief and putting it into their basket. And they would walk away and I'd put more grief into the next basket and the next person would come and I'd put my grief into their basket. And they carried that grief for me until I was ready to carry it on my own. And I don't know, you can't really pinpoint at, at, at what moment you're ready to carry that grief or take it back. But by the time you collect all those baskets back, it's, it's, it's a fraction of what it was. Yeah. So, it's, so a, it's that connection. Yeah. It's the, it all goes back to that deep connection. That and I, yeah, I often wonder what would, I still think about this. It's heartbreaking to me. Um, there are folks out there who don't necessarily have those connections. And I don't know I, I, it's, I, well, who, who carries their grief for them. Like you need that, you know, and that's why you know I, I credit a lot of my um, the people I love and the people I'm friends with and you know people who came from you know um, parts of my life that had long been over, you know, chapters in in the book that had been closed, um, you know, as they come through the line and you hadn't seen this person in years or and you go, wow. You're going to carry my grief for me right now. Thank you. And you just give them the, yeah. you know, it's just, it's a wonderful, wonderful thing. But I really do, um, my heart goes out to people that don't necessarily have that support group, that, that army that I talked about. Well, it is, um, it is, you know, I talked about our nature and our nature is to, to love unconditionally and to support and to serve. And so big events like this in life, although I cannot even pretend that I know how it felt, um, nor do I ever hope to know that. <laughs> but that this this pulls us together. I mean, we always hear that it pulls us together. So I know um I know you we have to let you go here soon because it's almost that time that you have to leave. It's very right. close. So um, yeah, I want to say one thing in in sort yeah. of like a closing to kind of top this off on a like a positive because, note. And I think I mentioned this to you at one point. The the connection between, you know, um you and I and BJ and I and all of us and the whole family like getting back together um and there was that moment, too, where your mom and my dad at, was at Jimmy's funeral. It was at Jimmy's and funeral. And they hugged. Mm -hmm. And we were, all, we were all there to see it. And would that have happened? I don't think that, that was would Jimmy. have. That yeah. was Jimmy making that happen because that connection was so important to him that not only did they hug, they hugged in front of all of us. Yeah. We all saw it. Yeah. You know, it happened. It really happened. And that was, um, and my dad at that point had been suffering from mild, at that point, mild dementia. Um, but he knew who she was and he knew he was burying a hatchet. He knew it. And she, yeah. And so, and did, so she. did she. It was beautiful. Uh, yeah. And so that, yeah, that moment was unbelievably healing. And, um, and since that moment, it's, my mom has been more 
open oh, yeah. than I can tell too ever yeah, for sure um, about talking about her sister mm-hmm. and talking about everything that happened. So yeah, I mean, I yeah, think- even her voice is different when when I speak to her. You know, not which I don't speak to her frequently enough, but. If I speak to her on the phone or when I've had the pleasure of seeing her, her voice sounds lighter to me than she it just, did. She's just not burdened, I don't think, with she that She just as much loves anymore. you and she loves you now without guilt. Right. She loves right. you now without um, the pain that was carried for right. so long. And I don't, and I've forgiven myself and I've gotten that forgiveness, or forgiveness, I shouldn't say, but my, um, I've let go of that loyalty issue that I might have had back in my 20s because my dad hugged your mom. It, you know, right. it's really all connected. But getting back to the the two of you in terms of your coaching and for anybody listening um, who's looking for coaching, who's looking for motivation, support, um, these are the two people you need to support because after something like that happens in a race like that, I was just telling somebody recently, you know, doing um, lake swims for training or doing, you know, open water swims for um you know, these sprint races I do, anything that's in a, in a lake, the smell of the lake water. I, like I said, I was a panicky swimmer to begin with, but that you combine the smell of the lake water, the scene of the transition area, the whole thing. You want to talk about flashbacks. Um, people just want, they think I'm insane to, be, to do this. Um, some people don't necessarily understand why I would continue to do this sport and they think it's ne- not necessarily smart or whatever um that is the reason I continue to do this but I would never have been able to do these races and continue this sport that I actually really enjoy without these two um you guys have been amazing and without you I I don't think I think I probably would have maybe tried another one and then said okay I did it um, and put it in my pocket and move on I think that's probably what, what my plan was um and then I started getting inspiration and motivation and coaching, actual coaching from the two of you. And um, the little technical things you've taught me, the mindfulness you've taught me, all of the things you've taught me. Um, if you can take a non-athlete like me who's been through what I've been through and I'm continuing to do what I'm doing, it is not without um, Yogi Triathlete. You guys are amazing. And um, we need to all support everybody out there needs to support you guys because it is it's beyond words again i'll need that scroll of paper to write down why um we need to all support you because you give it back to everybody in so many ways so thank you very much and thank you for having me yeah thank you so much gal i mean you um you're such a pillar of strength i mean we're talking about a woman here who um has been through some big things in her life and somehow you have managed to pick it up and get back in that wetsuit and kill it on the swim and not only kill it on the swim, but enjoy it. And I've worked with you through moments of panic in the water and, um, you know, with, you know, there were times where we would be in the lake and I would literally be connecting in with Jimmy soul and just saying like, you know, get, help me with the words to encourage her and not seeing you as a victim, but come on, Gail, you can do this. Like I'm right here next to you. You can do this. And you just, you, you not only do it, you just, you kick ass at being a mom and everything that you do. And then you have this wonderful man in your life now who we love so much, Joe, who definitely was heaven sent. And, um, and two kids that, like you said before, um, you're raising good people. You're raising amazing, beautiful people to help others in this world. And, uh, I just, I think you're amazing. And so if you look to us for strength, just know that we look to you for the same thing. 
And I'll just be following you along on the uh, Ride the High Vibe Tour. You'll, every time you turn around, you'll be like, who's that person that's following us? That's going to be me yeah. because I, I need you guys. So just stay in touch. Well, we all need each other. Yep. So thank you so much for sharing thank you. Thank so you for openly about amazing. such a big thing in your life. But I think it's, it's so important um, because there's a lot of people out there dealing with loss. There's a lot of people out there dealing with heart disease. And, um, mm-hmm. yeah, just watch those signs and watch those signs. Oh, it's so important. And take every moment, uh, to be as precious as it truly is. And listen to your body. Right. Thank you so much, cousin. Thank I love you. you. I love you. Thank you for having <laughs> me, guys. that was it another episode of the YTP and was that crazy or what it's so hard for me to believe and even remember at this point that Gail and I were kept apart for so many years and that it was a separation that was sparked and kept alive by the deep pain of loss and it's hard for me to believe that Gail that she grew up without a mother and now her children are going to grow up without their father and that life like in this logical sense it doesn't always make sense Right? But there's like this truth, this undeniable truth about what life serves us up in any given moment that requires us to move through its experiences. Like we have to move through these experiences so that we can continue to live. And to see Gail race a triathlon after her husband died during one is one of the most inspiring examples of strength that is within all of us. And I believe that our reconnection in this life is a testament to never giving up. That no matter what life serves us, we must have extreme faith that we can move past the experience and live fully once again. So thank you so much for tuning in. Please share your feedback with us. Share this podcast with your friends and leave us a review on iTunes. Until next time, you guys, ride the high vibe always, no matter what.